This episode is brought to you by Cobury Digital. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Entrepreneur Rush. I'm Emil Mikkelsen, and with me, as always, is Thomas Schöpf. And we're coming to you today for the first time, I mean, finally, uh, from Copenhagen. Yeah, super excited. I mean, I love the new little studio we set up here in uh, what I'd call a mixture of a living room and an office, but uh, it looks good. I mean, the, the walls need a little bit of decorating, but other than that, it's uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll get to that still, but if it ain't broke... Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I hold that. That sounds like a mediocre mentality, Thomas, but you know, let's just jump right into it, everyone. I mean, a bit of disagreements here launching out, but we're in Copenhagen. We're happy to be live. We hope the sound quality is on point. Um, so today we'll be talking about onboarding, and this is a super interesting concept that, you know, a lot of different people have different definitions of what it is. Uh, I think in now, like in, in today's marketing world, it's so much more than the core of, you know, we have an introductory email flow when you sign up that introduces you to everything, make sure you're, you know, you're a part of it all that you understand it. I mean, that's part of it, but it's so much more, right, Thomas? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends what medium you're in, obviously, but it's not just the first 10 minute tutorial. It's not just the first, uh, the first three emails you send out. It's about the entire experience a customer has that takes them from their first purchase or not even, you know, from just visiting your website, from signing up to the newsletter, all the way towards full and complete loyalty. Absolutely. And I like what you just touched upon there, because again, there's another, you know, people disagree on this, but to me, onboarding really is from the first time a person hears about your brand. I mean, when they start purchasing, of course, they're in a different stage and, you know, you have to take it take it differently in, in terms of how you approach it. And, and maybe, you know, you send more emails then and you have their permissions, et cetera. But onboarding really begins from, from the first time they hear about you. Onboarding is about how you introduce your brand on Facebook, Instagram, Pinterest. It's about how you introduce them to the website. It's about how you engage with them, make sure they get on your newsletter, your, you know, your SMS list, anything like that. And then how you follow them along that journey, how you make sure that you map their customer journey. So it's always relevant, whether they purchased you know, never purchased, purchased once before, et cetera, et cetera. And I want to touch upon that relevance because I think it's a lot more important than, maybe not more important than people realize because if anyone actually sits down and thinks about it, 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 it's pretty intuitive and obvious, but it's something that a lot of companies aren't doing, right? They have the standard welcome flow for every single user. They have a standard way, a standard operating procedure basically for when someone finds out about their business and they're basically converting them into a customer and then into loyal uh, loyal fan, right? And it's super important that the whole onboarding process is tailored perfectly to that person, right? There's a huge fallacious uh, line of thought where people, where, where businesses think, look, let's find out what my average customer, what my market segment likes, right? That's the one I hear most often is, my market segment is like this, right? Most of the people buying my products, they like this, so I will give them that. When that's no longer necessary, right? It used to be you have to make the TV spot that you know that appeals to the lowest common denominator so that you know you make the most most people happy you can. Not only do you leave a lot of people out, but it's not just that, you know, it's 10% of people you lose, it's the other 50% who aren't exactly the average person either or you know your average market segment they're not going to be happy either, right? They're more or less satisfied, but they don't, they're not getting the best experience. And with today's technology, you can really tailor everything 
to specific, not just specific people, but to specific actions they're taking. So they're getting the right notification, email, uh, interaction on the website based exactly on the action they've taken. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when, when it comes to generalizing, that's really the base, right? That's where we begin. If we do not have the data yet, if you don't have the knowledge about the specific person, by all means, right? Look at the averages, look at the statistics, start from there. But as you get more data, as you understand more, both about the general customer journey of your people, you know, not just looking at the general, the market segment, but at the general ones that are visiting your specific website, but also once you learn more about the individual, start tailoring that data. Make sure that in your marketing automation system, you add different tags based on behavior. Make sure that you send out follow-up emails when it makes sense. Make sure that you look at, does this person like to have confirmation email or more content-based emails? And sort of act accordingly, right? Does this person like to receive one email a week or do they like to get it two, three, four times? Adjust, right? And the cool thing is once you have the data, once you set up the automations, it really runs quite smoothly. It's not that you have to work a lot more than previously either. So, and yeah, I love that point, Thomas. I mean, super, super important. Always tailor it to the individual. I want to latch on to the automations real quick just to really, you know, clarify the whole picture here. Uh, obviously, what we're talking about here is in an ideal world. And a lot of businesses either don't have the time, the resources, the expertise to tailor it perfectly. So then what you do is, you know, you try to approach that. That doesn't mean just because, you know, you don't have the time to tailor and to write an email for each one of your subscribers, which is obviously impossible, especially when you start getting bigger. Um, but at least try to, you know, send it out at the right time for the person. Send out, you know, have different emails and send them out at different frequencies. Some people, like you said, want them three times a week and another person might want it one time a month. It's about hitting the right spot for each person because if you try to, like like we're saying, right? If you try to generalize and send out uh, an email, you know, a week for every person, or what a lot of businesses do because they don't want to piss off the people who would like it once a month, they only send out once a month. And sure, they don't piss anyone off, but they're also missing out on the other, you know, on um, let's say twenty percent of their customer base that would have been activated four times more often. Absolutely. I mean, it's about intervals. It's about what type of emails you send. I, I think the importance here is to understand that any improvement you make is worthwhile, right? So whether you can do the, the whole line or you can do part of it, keep moving forward. I mean, the, the beauty about email flows and marketing automation is that it's permanent, right? So once you've created it, it remains. So build on it slowly as you get along. And, you know, I think there are a lot of things you can do that aren't necessarily that difficult. You can look at, okay, everyone that did not open this email in the welcome flow that's really important, well, send a reminder to them later if it's actually something they need to hear about. Stuff like that is relatively simple in today's marketing automation. But we're talking a lot about email here, Thomas. And again, what I think makes our approach to onboarding so unique is that we take it far beyond that. And to me, there's really five core avenues when it comes to onboarding that every business, regardless of their size, should approach. So one of these is the introduction, right? It's how you hear about them either on the website or in the advertising, your first sort of awareness and how you're introduced to the brand and what it does. Super, super important and relatively basic. And I'd say everyone really in one way or another onboards here because, you know, they hear about you. But the art of it here is to try again to tailor it, make it different, depending on which ad led them to the website or which segment they're in, you know, show them different content. I'm so tired of seeing, you know, great brands run the same ads for all of their segments. I mean, a great example is I, 
I've been advising a little bit on, on the side recently for a brand in the UK that's promoting noodles and they love to, to you know, say, okay, a lot of our segment is gamers and vegans because that's sort of the, the course they've found out about. And what about everybody else, right? And, and then what gets worse is they treat vegans and gamers the same, right? As they're just one segment, you have the very hardcore vegan approach and you have the stereotypical gamer. They need different approaches. And then when it builds on that, the way that they promote themselves in communication and with sponsorships is a third line. They're going for stuff like GQ or typical news outlets. So we really have three outlets here that are completely different. We're treating them all the same. And that's just going to create a horrible onboarding experience. There's no humor to it, right? There's no tapping into how gamers think, following up on esports events, making jokes that are related. I mean, it's pretty obvious, right? Different people care about different things. You need to show different USPs, unique selling points to different people. Gamers as a whole, you know, and, and if you're advertising to gamers, you don't want to advertise your GQ spot. You probably also don't want to advertise or to put too much of an emphasis on we're vegan. The average gamer won't care about that. Uh, of course, again, we're generalizing, but at the same time, if you're advertising to vegans, you do want to emphasize that it's a vegan product because that's what they care about. That's why you're advertising to them. I mean, but the thing is, we know nowadays if people are vegan, we have the data. So sure, target vegan gamers in one way and target, you know, the average gamer exactly. in another way. I'm just saying you can't throw them all in. It's the same, right? So, so that's one avenue, Facebook website, whatever advertising platform, the first step. Then we have email. We all know about it. Your typical onboarding, you know, people sign up, they get a flow. That flow can continue at anniversary reminders, et cetera, et cetera. We'll get more into this. Then we have a third avenue that for some reason is incredibly out, uh, just overlooked. And that is the physical experience. What do you actually put in the order when someone buys something from you? Do you introduce them to the product nicely? Do you have something, you know, physical? Do you add recipes to whatever they bought? Do you add guides, meal plans, extra I mean, little things? Even just what we see often with very well done, smaller, you know, startups that are just starting out. And and then especially, you know, even, even when you get to scale ups with the really great brands is people adding handwritten notes to it, thanking the customer. Right? And it, I mean, it... It's relatively little effort. Uh, of course, it gets to more when you have more, more, more customers or subscribers. But uh, you know, it makes a huge difference because it adds that personal, physical touch where they open the packaging. And, you know, they're getting this nice, personalized message. We still care about that. Absolutely, and I mean, chocolate was sort of the standard for a long time, and people were excited about it. But we're in 2021 now. People have received chocolate. They're, they're beyond that, right? They want to know something extra, something about your brand. What's so special about it? They want that personal note you talked about, that engagement, that involvement. They want to know more about all of these things. And if you're willing to invest that little bit extra once you've made the first order, what you'll see is retention rate and lifetime value explodes. And rather than paying, say, £20 for a new customer, you can pay another 5 to retain the one you already have. I mean, and because that's the beauty of onboarding. At the end of the day, right, if you receive a package from this business, you open it up, you get the product you ordered, you move on, right? There is no, it's very cold. It's a, it's a simple exchange of money for product. But if you open that box and all of a sudden, it's not just the product you ordered, it's a nice handwritten letter from the owner. It's a, you know, a, a, an extra info sheet telling you, you know, about where the product came from, from how it was produced, the story behind it. You might not even be interested in it as much. You might not even read the whole thing. But you might read a paragraph here or there, find it interesting. And all of a sudden, this brand has gone from a business I'm interacting with, right, the, the, the very cold B2C uh, relationship to a 
oh, look, this, this, this owner is pretty cool. Um, I like this brand. You know, they've added in something extra for me. And you give them an extra thought. You give them a little bo- bit more space in, in, in your mind. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the little extra added benefit that a lot of people don't realize is when it comes to physical onboarding, that's where not only do you create ambassadors, but you get people that will advertise for you. So if you have a beautiful onboarding experience with, you know, a nice box, nice things added to it, people take pictures, they share this on Facebook and Instagram, suddenly everyone in their network sees it, more people buy your product and you didn't pay for that. You'll also realize that they share their experience with others. You'll also realize that when people visit their homes, maybe they displayed your boxes. I mean, we have goodie box here in Denmark, absolutely amazing when it comes to their entire visual identity, their entire onboarding experience. I mean, to be honest, to me, they're not even selling their product anymore. All of their lovely subscribers are selling it because if you go to a home of the average girl subscribing, you'll see goodie box displayed everywhere and people will ask, what's that? If they haven't already heard of it, they'll get this amazing tale about how awesome the company is and they'll go subscribe. Beyond that, again, like everyone's sharing it. I see so many people in my feed, they're showing me goodie box, you know? It's just, it's absolutely amazing and I love that physical element of it. I mean, to, to, to make all of this a bit more lighthearted, right? I remember in the uh, early 2000s, maybe early 2010s, uh, there was a comedian that, that joked about this, uh, that joked about hanging the, the packaging for his MacBook Air on the wall because, you know, obviously that's the most beautiful part about it. Um, but, you know, <laughs> but it does bring it back down to if the packaging looks good, if the product, if the idea is, is, is designed well, is cool, people will display that. And, and that does, again, sell uh, sell for you. Absolutely. I mean, I guess it's also a way of making the online universe more physical, right? Because if you go to a store, you get a lot of this by, you know, you see the beautiful layout of the store, you get this great experience. Of course you have a website, but it's not the same. You get that interaction with the people behind the product. Of course, it's not someone standing there talking to you, but it's someone that actually, you know, put effort into a unique experience for you. And because it's somewhat automated, you can put so much more effort into that experience and make sure that it's just continuously improved. And and that's another element of it, right? Keep working on your onboarding thing. It's not something you set up and is out the way. You then learn from the data. You then get new ideas. You ask for feedback from your subscribers, from your buyers, and you keep improving. It's pretty straightforward, right? You have someone is paying for their product, for your product or your service, and they want to be. It's the same reason if you go to a spa, if you go to 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 any you know higher end or premium brand physically to the physical store, right? You expect a relatively decent service. Often they'll offer you water or drinks. Uh, if you go to a bank, they'll often offer you drinks or refreshments and and food and stuff. And it's all that. It contributes to this premium experience. So especially when you're selling a premium product, right? You want to make sure that people feel that. And just like if you return to that, you know, uh, higher end department store or to that bank, you expect to continue having that same treatment. And so it's not about the, we'll give you good treatment while you're signing up and then just, you know, drop it from there. It's a continuous making you feel valued, uh, it's a continuous uh, high-end experience that that people want. Absolutely. So the third avenue, right, is the physical experience. What do you actually add onto your product? The fourth one builds a bit on that in the sense that it happens after you purchased, as does most onboarding. And that is, what do you receive digitally? Not just emails, but 
you know, do you get an account that's created where you can log in and download certain things? Do you get access again to special recipes? What actually happens? You know, which attachments follow? What do you get that's tangible beyond hello and welcome and, and, you know, introductory level things? Do you get access to special videos, webinars, all of these things? That's, That's one of the often overlooked ones, especially when we go beyond, you know, stuff like software, et cetera, or something where you actually buy that and obviously you, you get it attached, right? You know, say you just purchase a completely normal product online. Do you know, do you get a lot of guides that follow up that help you make the most of it? Do you get a personalized thank you video from the owner? What happens? And to, to kind of, you know, get on a, a meta level here on top of that, once you give people the system or a new app to log into or an account, right? There needs to be an onboarding process for that as well. And uh, often what, what's done is all the features or just in general, right? You receive a product and suddenly all the features are sent to you in, in an email or you log into a page and you see everything. You have the instruction booklet and, and, and you know, and people read through this. And first of all, you know, some things they forget afterwards because our short term memories aren't always the best. But uh, some things just aren't relevant when you're starting out, right? You want to just, whatever you have, get it online, get, get it up and running so you can start using it. That's why you bought it. And so you'll ignore some or skip through some parts that aren't relevant now, but might be more relevant down the line. So what you want to do is move away from a tutorial kind of thing, you know, whether it's for the, for the product, for the, for the online account you've uh, created for them, for the portal, right? Uh, you want to move away from a, uh, a tutorial that shows everything up front and towards a, a just-in-time model, right? A contextualized tutorial that when they're taking a certain action, that action is explained or that feature is explained or make it easy for them to access more information as they move along. Absolutely. And there's, there's two elements I want to elaborate on there because, of course, sometimes it's hard to perfectly map when do you send that tutorial. That's when behavior-based things come in, right? If you see that they've signed up for a certain thing, if you see that they visited a certain sub-page, if a certain amount of time have passed, if they've activated their license key, all these behavior-based data points you can set up, there you can follow up. But I think beyond that, you know, there's another interesting aspect. If you've sent something out, right, because you do need to send it at a certain point, you might have that behavior-based information, you might not, they might not act as if, if, you know, you expected, is the follow-up beyond that because it's not necessarily that they weren't interested. Again, it might be that you hit them at the wrong time or that the particular, uh, particular thing you send they already know about. So what you want to do is you want to resend another variant of that email later if you notice they didn't open it. You want to sort of build on the experience you already created, make sure you tailor it just a little bit and then follow up when then later it becomes the right time. You also want to make sure that you do general stuff such as asking people what they need from you, right? Again, it depends on your product. It depends on the situation. But one of the greatest things you can do is sending up, you know, emails that say thank you for ordering. And, you know, once you know they've received the product, say you should have received the product now, ask in, what do they need? How is it? How was the experience? Is there something we can do differently? Something we can do better? Again, you know, as, as it comes to follow up, I also like to send uh, automations that ask for reviews for people that have been subscribed for a certain amount of time or people that have purchased a product several times. This is also onboarding, right? So all of these things are tied together. It's all about looking at the behavior of the individual and then sending them what they need at that you know stage or what you need at that stage. And I want to expand on the, uh, the success notification of some kind that, that you mentioned briefly, that a lot of larger companies are doing when they're doing it well, uh, because it is something that 
that matters more than you would think, right? To give people a message that, you know, you've successfully completed this step. MailChimp, for example, when you send out your first newsletter, uh, gives you a success notification that adds a bit of humor. It's a, it's a monkey's hand high-fiving you, right? Wait, guys, real quick. Please don't use MailChimp, by the way. I love their ads. I hate their platform. Yeah, no, I, I could not agree more, Emil. But you have to admit, their ads are very much on point. Male shrimp, I still got that tune stuck in my head. I mean, their ads are on point. They have to be when you have a platform that's that bad. Okay, we don't have to trash them that much. <laughs> I think everyone praises them, and I'm confused why. Because really, it has horrible data flows. It has very weak automations. It might be free up to a certain point, and it might be you know easy to use. But for some reason, everyone uses it, and that's just beautiful advertising right there. But it's it's definitely not the quality of the platform. While we're recording, maybe I should just just so we don't have the sound bite for later. We apologize for this message. Okay, yeah, that works for me. No, honestly, guys, like just a, a little side tip here: if you're on Mailchimp, uh, look to get away very quickly. Look at platforms such as Clavio or Email Automation or one of the other big ones that provide just a little bit more detail, right? I'm fine with you being on MailChimp if you're in a startup phase because it does have, you know, the intuitive aspect. It is very cheap. It's very easy to get started with. But nowadays, as platforms such as Clavio have improved, they're really not that difficult to use and they offer a lot of the same intuitiveness, transparency. So I would consider it early on before you set up a ton of automations that have to be changed later because the reliability is just not there in MailChimp. And I, honestly, like while while we're at it, I think it's very interesting that some companies are spending you know loads of money on, on on advertising on Google and Facebook, and then unwilling to to move to a slightly more expensive platform. Where at the end of the day, the return on spend on investment for the platform is much much larger. I mean, most marketing automation platforms are borderline free, to be honest, right? I mean, you're paying so little for what you're getting out of it, but. Let's let's end the advertisement here and move forward. You said there was one last... Uh... Absolutely. And this is an interesting one. It's kind of a joker that applies to some companies because it comes down to who your segment is. It comes down to what they're worth, simply. It comes down to whether it's a subscription business or a one-off kind of thing. And that is the actual one-on-one -on -one contact. It's actually calling people. And now, you know, a lot of young people aren't fans of calling. They really wouldn't enjoy it, right? So again, look into your segment. And also, you might not have the time to do it simply because you're selling something that doesn't justify it or you have too many customers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All that being said, do consider it. And this, this stems off something I call the Mercedes model because at a time, Mercedes would call up everyone that had bought one of their cars, and what they'd do is they'd prevent buyer's remorse. It's a very common thing, right? You buy something expensive, a little bit of time passes, and you worry if you did the right thing. Mercedes would call you and remind you how great the car is, ask about your experience, and next thing you knew, you were talking about how amazing it is, and buyer's remorse went away. Now, say you have a subscription service on Champagne. Well, it makes sense that you actually call up these people and you ask, how was it? How was the box that you received? Did you enjoy the experience? Tell them a little bit of behind-the-scenes info about the Champagne house and the selection process. You know, engage with them. Make sure they actually have that fantastic initial experience because they're going to tell everyone that they subscribed to something or they bought a product and someone called just to make sure they were having a good experience. I mean, that is next level. And again, think about your segment, but if you do this right, that's where you can really boost retention and get ambassadors. And I mean, if, you know, you, if the items you're selling are lower ticket, so it's not worth paying someone to call or is, is, it's too many people to call yourself, 
what you can still do is try to uh, send out surveys, for example, on how the product was. And while a lot of people... Boring. <laughs> I mean, you got to do... You, you got to work with what you got, Emil. And if you're working with a survey, right, you, you send it out. A lot of people won't, won't fill it out because, like you said, it's boring. But they will look at the questions. They will look, ah, this company sent me a survey. They want to know. They value how I feel about what I bought. And then all of a sudden, they're thinking about how this product has improved their life. Because often it isn't, you know, buyer's remorse is fallacious. It's not a, I regret buying this. It's a, should I regret buying? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I kind of disagree with, with some of what you said there, but I like the way that you're going. My issue with surveys is they're very clearly something you do for you, right? Although part of the intent might be good, the typical response is, ah, this company is asking something from me. And that's why when we do these large scale surveys, what we obviously often notice is that it's the core segment that actually bother filling it out because they don't mind helping you out. So it's super interesting, right? Because I, I totally agree with the, with the sentiment, Thomas, right? You have to do something because you can't call everyone. What I think is pretty cool is, is what a, a major bike store I work with here in Denmark does. So they record videos for every single product they have in line and they have set up automation so that if you bought that product, you get this video sent. And while you could say this overlaps a bit with the automations and the emails, it has elements of that one-on-one -on -one because when done correctly, they sound like they're speaking to you and you get to hear the voice of the owner. You get to get that little bit of extra thing so I think there are ways even beyond having to call. And of course, like surveys can be absolutely amazing, but just consider when you send them out because an early survey, you know, it, it can really flop. It can really seem like you're doing it more for you than you are for them. No, that makes sense. Uh, I, I think we're on the same page there, especially when it comes to voice and video just being so much more powerful than the personal, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, this is just great. It to, puts a face. It puts, it puts a, a face, face to the yeah. whole business. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that engagement is really just what drives online sales right now. I mean, it's the one cart that smaller and medium sized businesses have, right? They want to hear who you are and why you're different. I've seen some startups in Denmark just explode simply because people felt with them, right? They might have liked the product, but there were better or equally good alternatives from bigger companies, but they just fell in love with the story, the passion, how much they cared. And this is what you can reflect in both good onboarding, but also this personal follow-up call, a video, or whatever it is you do that's voice and video based. So let's make a quick PSA here because this is a question we get very often about, you know, people who don't want to make a vo uh, something uh, content that's based on voice or video because they fear they lack the equipment, the expertise, and and are afraid of lower quality driving people away. It's super important that the audio quality isn't horrible and by horrible i mean you know there's wind and it's, it's almost impossible to hear but anything that you know that's comfortable to hear even if it's slightly lower quality and and for video you know it, as long as it's a step above grainy it's fine as well uh what your phones can do will be enough most of the time uh and it can that can be better sometimes i think right i mean because it's really interesting i love what you're touching upon here just very briefly right because in some cases that's the beauty of it. That's what makes it so personal. It's seeing that you took your phone and you're talking directly to them. You didn't pre-record it a million times. It's life. It's human beings. And a lot of people fall for this. A lot of people love this. Again, it's about that personal connection. So consider your brand. Of course, some, some brands are all about, you know, seeming almost perfect and having that, you know, absolute beautiful identity, that perfectly recorded video. And that's amazing. But you might have a brand where it's also about being you or being personal. And again, 
in most cases, you need both, right? It depends on the avenue and what you're doing. But uh, thank you for being a part of this. I way prefer those personal and so do a lot of the numbers because if it's a perfect video, you sort of realize, ah, this was pre-recorded. But if it's just a, you know, a casual video of you standing in your bike store filming yourself as you explain how the, you know, how the, the tire works, a lot of people will just absolutely love that. Pretty sure I know how a tire, like it's just a round thing and then, you know, the wheel pretty old invention yeah, older than the wall some would say right? you'd, you'd be surprised about the amount of tires that i'm playing when you go you know biking at some point and i'm gonna get a lot of flack for this but at some point biking you know it's more about the feeling that it matters because there are some of these small little extra things that are added on that you know scientifically they add so little but the idea you know that you have the best possible equipment the mental change that gives you that's really where you can you can pull some stuff i guess there's more to tires than i thought then there's more to there's more to tires than you think, Thomas. Absolutely. I mean, even just the amount of brands. I mean, don't get me started. There's so much competition. Tire competition. What did you say earlier? Boring. What's boring about that? Specialized and you know turbines and tunnels and. <sighs> did you know they're involved with Formula One? Oh shit. That yeah. that does sound pretty fun. Yeah, it, it, it's a uh, it's science, Thomas. It's art. I know you don't care about neither of those two, but it, it's actually it can be interesting. Look at all this trash talk, right, or yeah. I guess hear it. There's more than data to this world, although data is amazing. Please do say yes to iOS 14.5, guys. It's too late for that, I think. You can still say yes. I mean, the numbers are in. Ninety some percent are screwing us all over. Ninety six percent. Denmark was ninety, and and you know that's why I'm saying Denmark really, really has the upper hand in a lot of cases. I mean, ten percent of Danes are actually cool. <laughs> let's let's bring it back to uh to the topic at hand. So we've we've covered a lot of you know a lot of different aspects. What should someone walk away with? What's the most important part? Absolutely. Let's take a look at it. So first, before going completely into depth with this, I just want to point out that, you know, we could have made an episode where we told you exactly what to put in your onboarding flow, etc. The reason we didn't is there's a lot of these, right? Just make a simple Google search. We even have an article on it. That is important, you know, what you actually decide to put in those three to five introductory emails. But what's much, much more important right now is that you understand the importance of onboarding, the several media outlets and avenues of it, how it's not just email, how it's not just once people have purchased, but also before and what happens a year or two or three after so that suddenly you aren't treated like a king in the beginning and then at your one year anniversary, it's bad luck. So, you know, that's really what we want to drive in here. And so, so let's sum through that. So first of all, there are these five different ways of onboarding. Uh, the initial one, as we talked about, starts on the website or in your advertising. It uh, takes place before someone has purchased. The second one is once you get their permission or they've made an order and you can send up follow-up emails with certain content. Again, the extent of which you can do this depends on, you know, your local regulations and the permissions you have. That one's super important. Uh, a lot of people know about it. And once we get beyond these first two steps, Thomas, right, that's when it gets interesting because here we notice the large majority of brands doing nothing or very little. Uh, the third aspect of it is the physical onboarding. What do you actually put in the packaging? You know, which experience do they get when they receive the product? Did you write a nice personal hand note? Did you give them something extra? Was the experience nice? This is where you can get ambassadors because people love it. This is where people will feature your products at home, sell it to their friends and family. This is where people will take pictures, share it online, and suddenly you're getting free advertising. So an amazing step that a lot of companies overlook, especially when we go beyond stuff like makeup or interior, which are amazing at it. 
to me, really, it's for anything. Whether you're ordering something boring, as you said, Thomas, whether you're ordering tires, well, you can also make that experience unique. The fourth one, and this one's also very, very exciting, is sort of a buildup on email automation, but it's what you attach. It's what's in the confirmation email that you can download. It's whether you create an account for them on your website where you can log in and, and get access to different things, you know, special webinars or access to tastings, further information, recipes, you name it, right? Things that you get beyond purchasing. And the fifth and final, the joker that is sometime relevant, uh, sometimes, you know, but sometimes it's not. It really depends both on how much value is in the individual customer, but also whether they're accustomed to or fine with being called. It's phone, right? The lovely Mercedes case, great example. Make sure you kill buyer's remorse. That's the worst feeling. Uh, and, and if you do not kill buyer's remorse, you lose retention. They don't come back. They won't recommend it. And, and those are sort of the five steps that might sound super difficult, but they're relatively simple. I mean, just do something in all five stages and you're beating the majority of the competition. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode about onboarding, a super important step that for some reason is often overlooked or minimized and really shouldn't be. It's the key to driving retention and good lifetime value. So we hope you found some great tips and you enjoyed our first live podcast here from Copenhagen. And now's the time to share and subscribe.